0: hello everyone and welcome to a millennial learn thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode we are going over a very fascinating topic today at least i find it fascinating which is why i chose it uh because that's basically what we do here if you're new welcome basically i choose a topic that i feel like i don't know enough about i research it and i kind of report it back to you uh, so that we can all learn together so today we are going over the history of the coca-cola company which is very fascinating. Now, I was not sure what I wanted to do for this week's episode or next week's episode. I was kind of like brainstorming ideas and I got this vintage Coca-Cola sweatshirt, like oversized sweatshirt that I have been wearing almost nonstop for like the last 2 weeks. And so I thought, you know, I should learn more about Coca-Cola history and the history of the company because it's just like such a such an integral part of a lot of advertising and a lot of American kind of themes. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about the company and it was very, very um, an interesting history. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and let's get into it. Okay, so there is a fascinating history with Coke, but basically it started in Atlanta, Georgia on May 8th, 1886. Now that wasn't when the company got incorporated that is when the syrup originally was created. So a man named John Stith Pemberton was a local pharmacist in Atlanta and he produced the first Coca-Cola syrup. Now, it was kind of touted and advertised as a tonic for common ailments Uh, at first. It wasn't just for a good taste and refreshing. It ended up being an amazing taste that people liked, but he originally made it as a tonic for common ailments like headaches and things like that. So he extracted the cocaine from a coca leaf, and then he extracted some extracts from a cola nut, which has a lot of caffeine in it. So really what this original drink was was like a mix of cocaine and caffeine you know with the a bunch of sugar and stuff like that and it was created as a syrup so he carried a jug to a pharmacy down the street called jacobs pharmacy and it was sampled there they thought it was really really great taste really refreshing and so it was added to carbonated water as the first as a soda fountain drink So soda fountain drinks were not new, from what I understand, um, but this one, they did say, like, we'll add it to carbonated water, we'll sell it as a soda fountain drink, but it's also this tonic for ailments. So he sold his first jug um, on that May eighth, eighteen 1886 date. Now, Pemberton's partner and bookkeeper, Frank Robinson, came up with the name Coca-Cola, and he was the one that actually penned it in the original script so coca and cola because of the coca extracts and the cola nut extracts so that's why it was called coca-cola they thought it would be good with two c's even though the cola nut has a k it's spelled with a k um they just thought the marketing would be easier with two c's so they realized that people were starting to like it and They were sold about nine drinks a day in the first year so very modest sales but people were definitely enjoying the drink they were advertising it as very refreshing and delicious and so they started marketing in the local newspaper and on oilcloth signs and this is kind of like their first um, marketing campaign was in that very first year that they were being sold now eventually dr pembert i keep (laughs) mispronouncing pemberton Um, eventually Dr. Pemberton started selling portions of his company until he eventually sold all the remaining interest in Coca-Cola to a man named Asa C. Candler. So that happened in 1888 right before Pemberton died. I think he sold the rest of the company because he knew he was dying. So Candler had a large amount of interest in Coca-Cola. He eventually kept buying interest um, and had complete control of the company by 1891. Candler was a businessman, but he was also another Atlanta pharmacist. So in 1891, he completely took over control of the Coca-Cola company. And then Coca-Cola company was actually incorporated that following year in 1892. And the trademark Coca-Cola with like the dash and the two C's in the script and stuff was registered in 1893. Now, Candler was quite the businessman. He really helped advertise um, Coca-Cola and really started these marketing campaigns and things like that. And we're going to go into a whole section of the most important advertising milestones for Coke. Um, but under his watch, the company just basically exploded. So. In 19 or sorry in 1890, the sales or Coca-Cola was selling 9,000 gallons of syrup as of 1890. By 1900, they were selling 370,877 gallons. So just exponential growth from, you know, of these gallons of syrup, they created syrup making plants. There were some in Texas, California, and Pennsylvania and then By 1900, the syrup was sold in every state, in every territory, and in Canada. So wide, widespread throughout the US in just the 10 years, um, well, less than 10 years since it was incorporated, but uh, Candler had been kind of in charge of the company for about 12 years at that point. Now, at this point, it was just selling syrup. So people would like buy gallons of syrup, and then in um soda shops and soda fountain shops they would add it with the carbonated water and mix their own uh, coca-cola but coca-cola company signed its first contract with a bottling company in 1899. so that meant the bottling company would buy the syrup mix the drink bottle the drink and then distribute which was really a unique setup at the time there weren't really licensing deals like this uh, at the time, but now this is how the entire soft drink industry is um, is structured there, w- through these licensing deals, where you know you almost you never see really um, Coca Cola syrup being sold separately to like mix your own at a soda fountain. Most of the, the soft drink industry is all of these bottling licensing deals. I guess I'm trying to think like, you know, in bars and stuff, when they have the soda machines, like the handheld soda machines, I guess they are just buying the syrup there or like in fast food restaurants where they have the syrup there. I guess technically that is they're buying the syrup. Um, But a lot of the soft drink industry is like selling a Coke, a bottle of Coke at the store. So that's where these uh, licensing deals with the bottling companies really sprung up was in 1899. now as i mentioned there was cocaine still in the drink so there was extracts from the coca leaf which was cocaine that was still in coke and that was actually removed from the recipe in 1903 because part of the reason why cocaine was in the original drink was because it was touted as this ailment or this tonic for ailments Um, but like by 1903 it seems like everyone just accepted it as a very good tasting drink and a drink for enjoyment rather than um, any sort of tonic and so cocaine was removed from the recipe now at the time of incorporation in 1892 the company was valued at a hundred thousand dollars but in 1919 the company was actually sold to a group of investors led by Ernest Woodruff, and it was valued or it was sold for $25 million in 1919. So, um, you know, this Candler, who was a great businessman, took it from 100000 to $25 million in just about 27 years. So huge explosion of growth from the, the company because of Candler. But in 1919, it switched hands to a group of investors led by Ernest Woodruff. His son, named Robert Winship Woodruff, um, led the company first as president and then as chairman from, or I guess president and chairman, um, from 1923 to 1955. So he was also extremely influential in Coca-Cola history now we're getting into like world war ii time so this is from britannica and again i will put all the sources below so you can go read some more because on the coca-cola history website they have like different categories of history so they like go specifically into the first coke bottles and the battles that led them to You know diversify and make unique bottles and things like that so you can go read a lot more about that but this is talking about how um the post-world war ii era um saw a lot of diversification in the packaging of coca-cola and the development of and acquisition of new products so this says that the trademark of coke instead of coca-cola was first used in advertising in 1941 and was registered in 1945. Then in 1946, the company purchased the rights to Fanta, which was originally developed in Germany. So after the war, they um, bought that, like a German company. The first contoured Coca-Cola bottle was introduced in 1916, but it wasn't registered until 1960 And then um, in 1961, the company introduced Sprite. So that was like the first lemon-lime drink in its line. And then it introduced the first diet soda, which was Tab, because it was sugar-free. That was in 1963. And then in 1960, they also bought the Minute Maid Corporation. So that's when Coke kind of became like a player in the citrus juice market, it says. And then it added Fresca in 1966. So those like 20 years past, you know, the World War II era were a huge explosion for the company. It just add, it was wanting to get into all these different markets, add more drinks. Like they didn't want to just, you know, ride along with one product. They wanted to expand they got into juice they got into diet colas um, you know Fanta which is just an amazing drink um, I'm glad they bought the Fanta <laughs> company um, so all of those were big additions to the coke brand and the coke line um, throughout that time period around well I guess it's a little bit after this time but in 1978 coke was Coke became the only company that was allowed to sell cold packaged beverages in China. Now, that's very specific, cold packaged beverages. Um, But basically, they broke into the China market, which um, was obviously beneficial to the company and to their financials. In 1982, Diet Coke was introduced, which I had no idea it was that late in the game. I, I just assume diet coke had been around for a very very long time but 1982 seems like pretty recent that's 40 years ago and i just would have thought it would have been like way back like mid 1900s or something but no diet coke was introduced in 1982 and then in 1985 oh my gosh i am so out of breath just sitting here (laughs) I am in the third trimester, y'all, and this is what happens. I just, if I talk too much, I just get out of breath. So, sorry about that. But in April of 1985, there was something called the New Coke Fiasco. Now, I have, I heard about this a long time ago, and I feel like I've referenced it without really knowing that many facts <laughs> for a very long time. And now I finally actually looked up the whole story behind um, this New Coke fiasco. Luckily, I think I got the details correct, but what a fascinating study of like marketing and advertising and stuff like that. So here's what happened with the new Coke fiasco in case you missed it. Um, Basically, Coke realized that they were kind of losing a lot of the market share because Pepsi was a huge competitor in the market at that time. So they were starting to advertise and really getting a lot of um, customers and, you know, they were gaining a lot of the market. And they started an ad campaign called the Pepsi Challenge. So in this ad campaign, they had a bunch of participants who were not actors or anything, but they were just like participants in a blind taste test study. And in the ads, they had this focus group, Taste Coke and Taste Pepsi, like just a sip of each. And the vast majority of people chose the pepsi so you know because a large part of this was that pepsi was definitely the sweeter variation and so a lot of people picked the pepsi especially when they only took like one sip basically but that was their ad campaign and it was very very popular like it was very well known that this uh ad campaign was happening and that blind taste tests were saying that pepsi is better and a lot of people were like switching over to pepsi So executives at Coke were nervous about this. and They wanted to gain their market share back and they thought like, hey, maybe something needs to change in our formula because if people are just honestly blindly liking the taste of Pepsi better, we maybe need to revamp our formula. So they tested it. They put it through their own focus groups and it tested. This is the fascinating part. It tested extremely favorably like. Most people, the vast majority in their taste test, preferred the new Coke flavor to Pepsi or to the old Coke. They all liked it way more. So the executives were confident. They said like, yep, it's tested. It's a way better formula. And it was launched in April of 1985. And it was marketed as new Coke. So this was called the biggest marketing blunder of all time because what happened was... Is everyone liked the old coke better even though it had gone through all these tests and all these boards and all these you know blind studies people did not like the new coke and what I've heard this was not in the um, source that I found but I heard this a long time ago and this is what I've attributed it to but or a lot of people have basically they made the new coke so sweet that yes if you had a sip of new coke versus a sip of old coke people tended to really like the new coke uh, over the old coke and over Pepsi because it was sweeter but if you just cracked open a coke and wanted to have a full soda it was way way too sweet so people like a lot of people still liked coke more than Pepsi even after this ad campaign, they still liked Coke. They were still fans of Coke because it, well, for one, it was probably a little bit of a nostalgic taste, but also because if you had like a full can of Coke versus a full can of Pepsi, by the end of the can of Coke, you'd still like the Coke. Where if you had a can of the new Coke or the Pepsi, people would think it's too sweet. So very, very interesting taste test and like, um, studies that they conducted because they only conducted it based off of one or two sips of each soda instead of like making people drink a full can of coke so anyway they released this new coke in april of 1985 and people were not having it like they did not like it at all they said that people hoarded the original coke they was sold at extreme markups like it was a like prohibition era markups um of this original recipe Coke. They said famously a lot of new Coke was dumped into the sewers in Seattle. People were just in an uproar about this Coke. So that only lasted 77 days. And then the executives announced that Coca-Cola Classic would be released. um, And they still sold new Coke and Coca-Cola Classic kind of jointly but everyone pretty much bought the classic. So it was released in July 11th, 1985. They continued to sell new Coke. Um, In 1992, they like rebranded it to name it Coke 2, but it ended up being uh, discontinued in 2002 because the market share of Coke 2 was just so small. Like everyone was drinking just the original uh, Coke. So... Very fascinating. I feel like this is probably something that is studied in like all marketing classes, I would assume. Um, Anything where they're talking about like running blind taste tests or blind studies and uh, it's just a fascinating study of like what went wrong when they thought that it was going to be such a hit. They thought that people wanted sweeter and it was just such, such a miss. So anyway... Um, Okay, so then there was kind of another period of big expansion in the 1990s, so the company began selling products in East Germany in 1990 and in India in 1993. Um, The first bottle made from partially recycled plastics was released in 1992, which was like a big innovation for the industry at the time because most of them were um, in glass bottles I believe at this point still. Either that or just non-recycled plastics. Um, There was also a huge explosion of new drinks that they made in the 1990s. So there was a fruit drink, which was marketed in Asia, called the Koo Children's Fruit Drink. Um, Powerade became a drink, and Dasani Bottled Water were both made by Coke in the 1990s. Coke also then bought Barks Root Beer, so they had root beer added to their, uh, their line, I suppose. They bought Inca Cola in Peru, Mazza, Thumbs Up, and Limca in India, and Cadbury Schweppes beverages. So basically they started acquiring like a bunch of international brands as well as creating new drinks in their own kind of U.S. lines. Uh, they were expanding globally and then acquiring brands globally as well okay then in the early 2000s there was some controversy with coke so they faced allegations of illegal soil and water pollution and then there were a lot of allegations about severe human rights violations so that was one of the um controversies and then it says in 2001 the united steelworkers of america and the international labor rights fund filed a lawsuit against Coca-Cola and this other um, Panama Co LLC so they were the primary bottlers of coke beverages in Latin America so this lawsuit that was filed um, was against both of them and it claimed that they had openly engaged in death squads which basically were meant to intimidate torture kidnap and murder union officials in Latin America so This was apparently like a worldwide controversy it had a lot of attention on it I was too young to remember (laughs) that this was happening Um, but it was a big deal and several American universities it said tried to ban the sale of coca-cola products on their campuses um, but the lawsuit was eventually dismissed so didn't sound like anything really um, ended up coming out of that in 2005 Coke Zero was introduced. And then in 2007, um, Coca-Cola company acquired Energy Brands Incorporated, which is like their enhanced waters line. So I believe that's like vitamin water um, is what they acquired in 2007. And then they also joined the Business Leaders Initiative on Human Rights, which I'm sure was kind of a response to some of the lawsuits they had had and stuff like that. So That is the timeline that is provided just a a general glance of the Coca-Cola company. But there was another very interesting like PDF that was published on the Coca-Cola website that really highlighted their advertising strategy. So they've been around for 125 years, over 125 years. And so, this was like a printout of these old pictures of Coca Cola, like items and um, just advertising strategies they had. It goes beyond advertising strategy, but um, it kind of goes into all their history. But I'm just going to scan through here and see what fun advertising history we can find. So um let's see the first one so if you remember uh, coke was made in or created in 1886 in 1887 coupons are first used to promote coca-cola so there's a picture here that says uh, this card entitles you to one glass of free coca-cola at the fountain of any dispenser of genuine coca-cola so this is like the first time coupons are used to promote Coke. That was in 1887. Now, 1891, calendars are first used for advertising by Asa Candler. Again, he is quite the businessman at heart. So um, he made this calendar and advertised both Coca-Cola and this mouthwash called Dilek Talav. Um, and that is a mouthwash that was also sold by Candler. So, um, he was kind of at this point dipping his toes into this mouthwash and Coke, but after Coca-Cola was incorporated in 1892, he really just shifted gears and only focused his energy on Coke. Okay, the first dividend was paid out in 1893, which is just kind of not a marketing thing, but just interesting. Let's see. 1896, soda fountain urns and clocks are first used for advertising purposes. So again, he was like the visionary between, um, or like for this advertisement and getting Coke just right in front of the consumer's uh, faces. 1898, the first building was built for the sole purpose of housing the Coca Cola company. They outgrow it really, really quickly. um, And they have to move to larger and larger buildings five times over the first or over the next 12 years. So from 1898 to 1910, they move and upgrade five times. Okay, 1900, there's a music hall performer named Hilda Clark, and she became the first celebrity to appear in all these different advertising formats. So things like trays and posters and bookmarks had her face on it as well as Coca-Cola. So this little, um, I don't know what this is, maybe just a, a tray or something. It's shaped like a heart, and it says, drink Coca-Cola... Oh, it's a bookmark. It says bookmark, drink Coca-Cola with her face on it, reading a book, and it says refreshing and delicious. And that was um, some of the advertising um, strategy there. 1901, the advertising budget for Coca-Cola surpasses $100,000 for the first time. So big, big emphasis on advertising. The first convention of coca-cola fountain sales personnel is held in atlanta and then the first advertising for coca-cola appears in national magazines in 1904 this is also the year that the sales of coca-cola hit the one million gallon mark uh, for the first time they get more celebrities to endorse so lillian nordica nordica it's probably not nordica Lillian Nordica, who was a noted opera singer, it says, begins to endorse Coca-Cola and appears in nationwide advertising in 1905. So you can see her, like on a magazine with just the iconic red Coca-Cola font um, on that magazine. Okay, a straight-sided bottle is first used in national advertising in 1906. Um, At this point, Coca-Cola is also known as, quote, the most refreshing drink in the world, is their uh, tagline. The diamond-shaped paper label on bottles is introduced in 1907. And then this was like a a kind of stroke of genius for their marketing, but the company began associating with athletes in 1907 as well. So... We see this all the time now with like Coke, you know, partnering with sports athletes and celebrities and stuff. But this is the first time that it happened. They um, paired with baseball players for a series of ads, you know, telling everyone how great Coke is. Okay. 1911, the annual advertising budget of Coca-Cola surpasses a million dollars for the first time. So, from 1901 to 1911, the advertising budget multiplied by ten. It went from 100,000 to 1 million. Pretty crazy. Um, let's see. Examples of advertising in 1913 included spending 259 thousand dollars on painted wall signs, $11,000 on pencils, and $5,400 on napkins. So they're slapping Coca-Cola on, like, everything. Okay. Uh, 1915, the Coca-Cola Company or answering the call of Coca-Cola Company. The contour bottle prototype is designed by Alexander Samuelson and patented by Root Glass Company. It's approved, and that's where we get the kind of Well, this is the first prototype of the iconic uh, bottle. Okay. Um, It talks about how the bottle got its iconic shape. So, you know, I will post a picture on Instagram of the shapes that the bottles have gone through. But basically it starts as like a straight sided and then, you know, it evolves into eventually the, you know, iconic shape we know and love. Um, And it is now trademarked because uh, let, let's just read this here. So, the tremendous success and growth of Coca Cola encouraged other competitors to try to imitate Coke by offering bottles with slight variations on the trademarked name and distinctive script logo. Coca Cola with like two Ks, Coca Nola, Celery Cola, and Coke, K O K E, were just a few of the products that tried to capitalize on the success of Coca Cola says, working with our bottlers, the Coca-Cola company asked bottle manufacturers to submit designs for a bottle for Coca-Cola that was so distinctive that it could be recognized by feel in the dark or identified lying broken on the ground. So that's where uh, Root Glass Company kind of stepped up and made this distinctive shape that they were able to trademark. And that's why Coke has such a unique uh, bottle. Is because people were trying to rip off the bottles, and so they needed something more distinct okay let's see any more the intro like marketing things so 1923 the introduction of the first six bottle carton is a significant innovation for the beverage industry um, and that is patented the following year let's see The Board of Directors passes a resolution placing the secret formula for Coca-Cola in a bank vault at the Trust Company Bank in Atlanta. Outdoor billboards are now part of the advertising mix. That's in 1925. The company begins sponsoring its first radio program, Vivian the Coca-Cola Girl. That was 1927. Again, very innovative um, in the advertising department. Okay, 1931 is where we get the whole Santa association. So this says, Seeking to create an advertising program that links Coca-Cola with Christmas, artist Haddon Sundblom creates his first illustration showing Santa Claus pausing for a Coke. For the next three decades, from 1931 to 1964, Sundblom paints images of Santa that help create the modern interpretation of Saint Nick. So... Coke is not only just associated with Santa Claus, but Coke somewhat created Santa Claus and how we think of him today, which is fascinating. Okay, this is how did, this is like another kind of side printout of how did uh, Coke and Santa Claus start their association. So it says, most people agree on what Santa Claus looks like, a pleasantly plump character with a jolly expression and a white beard, wearing a red suit, but he did not always look that way. The image of Santa Claus ranged from big to small, and he wore colors from red to green and even brown. Uh, The Coca-Cola Company began its Christmas advertising in in the 1920s in an effort to increase sales during the slower winter months. So that was a big thing. They wanted to boost winter sales because you don't really think when it's snowing, you want to crack open... A cold Coke. It says several different images of Santa were used, but none proved to be popular with consumers until 1931. Um, this is when you know Haddon Sun Sundblom or Bloom, uh painted Santa that was both wholesome and realistic. And the company commissioned him to paint Santa for the last time in 1964. By then, the popular image of Santa was the Coca-Cola Santa Claus. So Things were varied a lot more before Coke actually kind of formed Santa in our minds. Okay, interestingly, in uh, 1941, the first paper cups for Coca-Cola are introduced as a marketing thing. But then 1942, the Sprite Boy character was introduced because they had created Sprite and they wanted to, to convey the message that... Coca-Cola and Coke are two terms that reference the same thing. So he had a hat that said Coca-Cola on it, but then he pointed, like you see this picture of him pointing to a sign that says, have a Coke, because people weren't really understanding that Coke and Coca-Cola were the same thing. So the Sprite Boy character was meant uh, to do that. okay the red disc metal sign like the classic coca-cola circle sign was introduced in 1947 uh, there was a uh tele- the first television commercial for coke is broadcast on Thanksgiving Day on a CBS half-hour special in 1950 so lots of like getting into media getting on products just like again Extreme geniuses of marketing, and that is why Coke is so popular. By eight, 1957, they're also doing a lot of worldwide sales, so sales outside of the U.S. accounted for about a third of the revenue of the Coca-Cola company. Okay, I'm trying to find any other big... Um, marketing things the launch of the new slogan it's the real thing ushered in a new advertising look for the brand of coke it was on trucks it was uh in magazines and um and all that in the 1970s have a coke and smile was the big tagline let's see um mellow yellow was introduced in 1979 let's see uh coca-cola begins their worldwide sponsorship of special olympics in 1979 but i think they were a partner with the olympics way before that let me see um yeah 1928 was when coke began its long-term association with the olympic games and they supplied drinks from the kiosks surrounding the venues in Amsterdam in those Olympics. So very interesting. And then in 1979, they also sponsored the um, Special Olympics. The formula for Coca-Cola has changed for the first time in 99 years in in 1985. We already talked about that, the biggest blunder in marketing history. And Coca-Cola becomes the first soft drink consumed in space when the astronauts aboard the space shuttle Challenger tested the space can on a mission. So, very, like, as you can see, it's just very ingrained in, like, the American culture, the American, I don't know, society as a whole. Like, it's on radio shows. It's on every advertisement. They, they're they going to space. They're sponsoring the Olympics. It's, like, everything that is says America and proud to be an American, like Coca-Cola... Is uh, is involved. So that is the history of Coca-Cola. Uh, I don't think there's any other huge marketing things. Um, they sponsored American Idol starting in 2002. So I mean, there's a lot of things that they just ended up sponsoring, but um, those were the big kind of advertising milestones. So. That is all for the history of Coca-Cola and the Coca-Cola company. I hope you enjoyed it. Makes me really want to go drink a Diet Coke, so maybe I'll go do that. But uh, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot, and I will see you next week for another episode. Bye, everyone.